0: You're raised as an athlete to fight back. So why all of a sudden when you retire, do you stop the good fight? This is Finding Center with Nick Hardwick.
1: Kids today are extremely book smart, but they lack the common sense. Um, They lack the ability to um, problem solve or critical think. Um, and I think because of technology has really eroded at that, where everything is snackable content, right? You, even this podcast we're doing with you, you got to, you going to have to will it, will it down to something that you could put on your social media that'll go grab to. people to go. Right. So that snackable content under, under two minutes is going to grab them because anything outside of that, they don't have the ability to retain their information or, or sit still long enough.
0: Hey guys, it's Nick. Hope everyone out there is doing well today. Thank you so much for the time that you've been given the Finding Center podcast. We hope to be giving you some critical information and perhaps inspiration to use on your journey towards health. If you have any recommendations at all or topics or people that you would like us to cover or interview, please DM me at Nick Hardwick or at Finding Center Podcast and I will do my best to get back to you. Any questions as well, I love hearing from you guys. You know, as far as health goes, here's a game I like to play. I like to think about my life in reverse. When am I in my 80s, 90s, and even into my 100s? That's right, I said it, I'd love to be 100 years old, but only if I can do it with health. I want to be able to look back and know that I did everything possible to stave off neurocognitive decline. I want no regrets. As Dr. David Haase said on one episode, the difference between being old and being an elder is retaining your wisdom. If we allow ourselves to slip physically, mentally, we are gonna struggle as well. And with mental decline, we lose the essence of the person and all of that accumulated wisdom. What a shame. Dr. David Haase says we should rage against that. I totally agree. If you're new here, the Hardwick family, we've announced a new supplement line with our name on it. It's called Hardwick.life. It's like Hardwick.com, but instead of .com, it's .life. My family has been taking these exact pharmaceutical grade supplements for several years now. We love what they have provided us. Our philosophy is to do everything within our power today to ensure that we're giving ourselves the best chance possible of living a fulfilling life. Hardwick.life is centered around taking care of the fundamentals of health through an active lifestyle, getting proper nutrition and supplementation to boost our immunity and protection for the areas in our lives that need special attention. My goal is to restore brain health for a lifetime of running into other giant humans over 30,000 times. That's right, 30,000 head hits. That, as well as looking after my heart, which also I'm sure came under some damage being big and then getting small. And I also have a family history of heart disease. Those are vital for me. Jamie's concern is her immunity and her gut health. That's why she loves the foundation life and gut life. Whatever areas of need or concern you have, Hardwick.life has you covered. Be sure to subscribe for 15% off and free shipping. When you do that, you're going to also get access to our simple family-friendly recipes to help get you started or keep you on track with your health journey. We are Hardwick.life, foundational elements for a fulfilled life. Check us out. Also guys, you know this, if you follow my stories on Instagram at Nick Hardwick, then you already know I post almost every meal that I eat. I do it to show that health and maintaining a fit and active body and lifestyle, it's no trick guys, it's consistency, consistently making good choices. One thing I've put into my body consistently since the company was founded in 2017 is Bubs Naturals Collagen Protein and MCT Oil Powder. One way or another, I have used Bubs religiously daily i swear by it these days since talking to doc Amon, i have cut out coffee but i still put the bubs in a protein hot chocolate that has been giving me my morning fix i love it it makes it creamier you're gonna love it too as i know lots of you have taken me up on the recommendation jamie swears by it she has bit multiple times every single day no other collagen brand can claim to be 100 percent nsf certified and donate 10 percent to charity that is awesome if you're in the San Diego area, Bub's products are now available at all Baron's Markets. Stop in and pick some up today and see how conveniently health can fit into your life. If you don't have a Baron's near you or don't want to go to the store right now, I get it. Order it online at bubsnaturals.com. That's bubsnaturals.com. Use the code HARDWICK20 for 20% off that order at bubsnaturals.com. Hey guys, welcome in. Joining us today on the Lessons from Legend segment of the Finding Center podcast is Steve Smith Sr. Steve is a former wide receiver in the nfl with a career that spanned 16 seasons 13 with the carolina panthers and three with the baltimore ravens he's a five-time pro bowler and a three-time all pro and is widely regarded as one of the most productive receivers during his time in the league in his 13 seasons with the panthers he became their career leader in touchdowns receptions and receiving yards And at the time of his retirement, he ranks seventh in the NFL career all-purpose yards, seventh in career receiving yards, 12th in receptions, and 25th in touchdowns. Needless to say, Steve Smith has a gold jacket and a bronze bust waiting for him in Canton at the Pro Football Hall of Fame in a couple of years. We are so honored to be joined by Steve Smith Sr. Look at you, empty bookshelves and everything behind you. We we moved (laughs) this weekend. How's it been? Oh, moving's brutal, isn't it?
1: Yes, it is. Oh, Especially with everything going on.
0: Oh, yeah. Like furniture's, you try to buy new furniture, it's not existing or it's like back order for 12 weeks, getting it's, moving companies to show up on time. It's crazy. We just did the same thing. We moved from California out here to Indiana and it's, it's wild. Where are you at?
1: Uh, Charlotte. Yeah. Permit yeah. now? Yeah, I've been in Charlotte the whole time. Yeah, you enjoy it there? Yeah, Yeah. being a West Coast guy and living here uh, is drastically different. Um, But one of the biggest things is um, I love to travel and going to California dealing with the traffic. Um, You go two hours in, in North Carolina, depending on which way you go, you can go to Tennessee, Atlanta, um, you go two hours in L.A., um, you've only went 15 minutes uh, from your driveway. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> <laughs> That's the truth. And, uh, I felt the same thing a
0: little bit too living in San Diego, not with the traffic and not driving, but like you've got Mexico you can get to and you got Hawaii. But then other than that, you're kind of stuck. Like yeah, yeah, Europe's over here, the Caribbean's down here. Yeah, it's like you can't get tough. to the East Coast, No sit- yeah. no other cities. It's yeah. tough. How many kids you guys have?
1: uh four two uh two young adults and um a fourteen year old and a, a six year old
0: wow so you're kind of spanning the spanning the whole age gap there what uh what sexes are they
1: uh so three boys one girl oh wow where's yeah. the girl fall in the middle yeah good yes. she's protected she is, and she she is. Yes, I'll just say that <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's awesome. Middle middle syndrome. Middle so, syndrome. Middle childhood. Is child she symptoms. loud? Is she loud? She, no, she's not loud. She just she's a girl who, um, you know, she's spoiled. But then now she's getting older. So now she's being expected to do some things. So it's, um, it, it's been unique. Oh, she's. You said she's what fourteen? No, no, no. She's the, she's 18. Oh, she's 18. Oh, yeah, so yeah. I have 22 year old boy, 18 year old girl, 14 year old son and six year old uh, son. Gotcha. What's that six
0: year old like? I got a, I got a wild little
1: six year old boy here. Um, He is becoming more and more like his dad. And <laughs> sometimes I'm not sure if that's a good thing. <laughs>
0: It's a little scary, isn't it? I see my my little one. He looks at me. He looks the same. He's got super white hair like I had as a kid, and he will attack me. Like he'll come at me and throw yeah. punches. And I'm like, dude, yeah. you don't see the
1: size difference here. You yeah, don't see what you don't see what can happen. It's amazing to watch. It's amazing to watch our kids pick up behaviors um, that we sometimes, as parents, want to correct. And then we realized, well, where'd they get it from? Yeah. Uh so it's, that's pretty fun to watch watch them.
0: They come by it honestly. How are you guys getting through the quarantine? Any special tips?
1: Mm. You know, I think the first fifteen days or show was pretty rough. Um, you know, just just on me and my wife just, you know, um, typical, you know, typical athlete where, you know, something like this happens we you know we're gonna take the bull by the horns and we're gonna do this and and really started to really examine myself and realize that you know i just kind of you you know you can't control things yeah but in this event you have zero control and one of the toughest things is our two older our oldest son who's graduating who actually just graduated And, and then my daughter who she's working, uh, for Chick-fil-A and she, her goal is to be a owner operator. Wow. And, and so supporting her in that, but then also looking at it from a parent's perspective, which is, you know, the, this, this, these 18 to 24 don't really believe and see how, how, you know how big of a, a impact this is going to be on people moving forward and they and i I really believe because they're so hands- on and so into social media that they're they are desensitized to what's going on and it's a struggle because I'm an old school guy and I grew up I was raised by uh, my mom and my dad and my grandparents who were real old school who believed in hard work um and, and the reason I say it's, it, it's a huge gap is um, uh, the thing I heard a little bit, which is, um, you know, give me credit. You know, and I struggle with giving you credit for looking at the test. You get credit for answering the questions correctly. And then if your grade says you passed, then you get credit. But this And that's the difference. The old school is like you don't get credit for just showing up right and and, and right. new school is you know new school is well we're here so yay you know we get credit you know everybody's the same and i struggle because there's real losers in life right oh yeah there there is a you know not everybody's equal life is not fair and our our, our society now has changed and morphed the scope of of success of what hard work is, and you know I'm a guy that's like you know you it, we didn't we didn't have allowances because we couldn't afford my folks couldn't afford to give me allowance, but as now, as an adult in a position I'm in, I don't do allowances, and I do commission, and the oh, reason nice. why and the reason why it's interesting the word allowance, you're allowing them to do something or you're allowing them not to do anything or receive everything but with a commission you look up the word commission is when basically when you finish the task and the pen inks the paper the deal then you get your money right and, like and that's that. the and that's the difference so I have my my little my my little son 6 years old he's he's on commission and it's payday every sunday and for every little thing he gets, he gets a check mark. Now some people that's gonna be watching is gonna say, well, why are you paying him to make up his bed? Well, I'm incentivizing him at a young age, so when he becomes my age, it has been in his mind so long that he's no longer doing it for commission, that's just the way he's built. That's it. Right, he's built to work. That's it. And if you don't build him to work, they're never going to work.
0: And, that's, and that is just the program that we're all in, right? You go to work, yes. you get your paycheck, you complete so, the task, I, most you of get them, your paycheck. Of,
1: unless you're an influencer. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> what what other things are you trying to pass on to the kids?
1: I mean, just really is that is, you know, me being from LA, obviously, you you know, um, yeah. when you have tattoos, no matter what color skin you are, you're going to get people they're gonna look look at you sideways, right? And then, so you got a tattoo guy from L.A. who's always wearing a ball cap, and then you have uh, my wife who's from Utah, who is not tattooed, black man <laughs> from from L.A. And so did you meet her was, in college? Yeah, I met her in yep. college. So there's a great dynamic between my wife, whose parents raised her Mormon. And then, you know, me not growing up with any religion, pretty much no religious background and then living here in the South is race is a constant dialogue in our house because my daughter looks like my wife and my boys look like me. And so, you know, there is conversations that we have to have that some people, you know, a lot of people say race doesn't exist. Well, if you're the right complexion, yeah, it doesn't exist for you. But when you you know, you are black or, or, or other, right. And you're in the other neighborhood that you are perceived as you don't belong, you know, whether it's economically or, you know, how you look, um, appearance wise, we have those conversations and we have to, and people don't want to have them. But to be honest, I've had my dad and my grandparents had conversations with me. And I've had to do the same thing. And so it does exist. I grew up when the riots happened, my parents were around when the watch riots happened. Um, my other, you know, my grandparents were around with, um, you know, racism and voting, you know, so it's, I've learned a lot that our kids don't even think about today It's not as prevalent, but I, I've noticed it and I see it. And it's something that we have to discuss, unfortunately a lot more than we really want to acknowledge. What do those conversations look like with your kids? One is, you know, my oldest is, you know, I talk about, you know, if you gotta, it, it, it's something so small, but man, if you, a, if you got a pants with a belt loop, you're expected to wear a belt, right? I don't want to see your draws, right? I don't want to see you walking around with your, you know, with your pants halfway down. Don't, don't play the narrative. Um, and, you know, when you're driving around, uh, even my daughter, you know, being a single, you know, a young girl, you don't need to get gas at 10 o'clock at night. Just, just get up 20 minutes earlier before you have to go to work in the morning and go when it's well lit. Don't go to the ATM at 10 o'clock at night. Um, you know, don't wear, you know, don't wear a hood walking around in the store. Um, you know, just some of those little things that. And they they play a big part. And they're the difference, I really believe it, in, in depending on the time of day, where you are, and how you conduct yourself. That's the difference between life and death.
0: Wow. And you're, ta- I mean, you're talking about little tiny things, little signals even, that just go, go a long way. I mean, that's, I mean, talk about things that I don't have to have the conversations of in my own house, just because we were born white. And that's yeah. it.
1: Yeah, it, it, wow. it's just tough, and but then there's a running joke. But you know, when we're at the house we watch, you know, strange addictions and stuff like that, when certain addictions come up, man, we you know we play the race card. You know, it's like, oh, that that ain't a brother right there. <laughs> you know, but but we also we also talk about it to where it's not something that's that's something that's hard to talk about. We talk about it because they're gonna experience it. Yeah. They may not experience it because of who I am to that degree, but to some degree, at some point in their life, they're gonna to have to experience it. And I want them to be prepared and behave in a way that doesn't um, make the situation worse. Yeah, especially when can, they're out
0: of the house, out of, out of the house, out of Charlotte, people don't know they're the son yes. or the daughter of Steve Smith, Yes, right? And they're just a person.
1: And and you know and so and I try to teach them that you know build who you are on your own um, and you know for me because of who I am I'm always tell them that you know I've always told them they don't have to catch run or jump to go to college I've taken care of that now go get your degree and decide what you want to do you know and and it's been good as you know I'm I'm a I'm a hard ass a little bit, so it's it's been tough on them at times. But, you know, um, I unfortunately, I, I I parent more in the past, a little bit less now. I parent more out of fear and what um, I know I missed out on or what I needed. Um, so sometimes I, I have to catch myself and not parent like that as much.
0: We had a conversation with my oldest today. He's eight years old and he was talking about us being so hard on him all the time. He's like, you guys are really hard on me. And we're like, we know because we're building the habits up right now because eventually those habits are just, you're going to be on autopilot and the program's yep. going to be written and you can't overwrite the program. So mm-hmm. right now is the important time and, and we're sorry, but our job's not really for you to like us right now. Our yeah. job is to put you in a great position to have success later down the line. So you can thank mm-hmm. us later. You, you may think we're really annoying right now, but sorry. It's just the way <laughs> it has to be, right? That's just, that's just how it has to be. Yeah. What, what were you like as a high schooler? Are you trying to, trying to go back and teach them some of those things?
1: Uh, I, I don't. My high school days are nothing compared to my kids. I went to public school in Los Angeles. Uh, my kids go to private school, Christian private school. Uh, my 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 kids are so much more advanced um, educationally as far as what, you know, you, you, I don't care, if you go to public or private school, what kids are learning today um, is far more advanced than what we yeah. were learning. Um, but I also think that they're extremely, kids today are extremely book smart but they lack the common sense um they lack the ability to um problem solve or critical think um and i think because of technology is really eroded at that where everything is snackable content right you even this podcast we're doing with you you gotta you gonna have to will it will it down to something that you could put on your social media that will grab people to go right so that's snackable content under under two minutes is gonna grab them because anything outside of that, they don't have the ability to retain their information or or sit still long enough. That's crazy. Um, and so just you know, just seeing the difference. Um, there is a struggle, but at the end of the day, um, you know, the good old fashioned still still gets it, you know, no matter what. The, the
0: good old fashioned hard work. You just you yeah. can't you can't outdo it. So you talked about going to public school in L.A. Then yeah. you ended up at Santa Monica Juco. Chad Johnson yeah. was your teammate there. Correct. What did yeah. you get out of that experience? And how did you get out of there? Because a lot of guys go to Juco, and then
1: that's kind of the end of the road. Yeah, I mean, I mean JUCO, Juco then was kind of like the college for me was everybody had a dream. You know, everybody was going 100 miles in different directions, different, uh, depending on the day. And, um, you know, I had to go to JUCO's because my dream was always to play in the NFL, but it always missed out on that college thing. i uh, never really put, had that in plan. And so what really, I started really behind because it was my sophomore year and we have to take pictures, you know, so I'm in math class and they take us out to take photos for the yearbook. And in that yearbook, I have to take pictures with the freshmen. And that was extremely embarrassing because first I took that picture and then second, you know, it's going to come out at the end of the year. And you got to explain that. And it was pretty embarrassing. Um, and so I, I generally, so I pretty much put my head down in my junior year. Um, in my mind, junior year, but the school's status was uh, uh, my sophomore year. Yeah, um, I end up um, having to really we we switch over the quarters. Um, no, so, yeah, the quarters. So it actually gave me an opportunity to really just start catching up. And so by my by the end of my junior year, I was. With my right class, and I ended up taking senior pictures the next year in the summer, and graduated on time. But um, it was a long haul, and so uh, based on that, I didn't take the SAT because I didn't believe that I was going to make it. And that's how I went to junior college, and that's where me and Chad met because he was from Florida. Uh, he was a bounce back from a college, uh, a historical black college, I think, here in Charlotte, here in North Carolina, somewhere, and. Um, and that's just kind of how I went. That's a
0: really cool story, especially the one where you're like, oh, I had to take the picture with a freshman just because academically you were on par with them. No, it,
1: I was just lazy. I was just I was doing other things, you know, right. um, like anybody else, any other kid, you know, I was smoking weed, I was smoking cigarettes, I was ditching school. I was just doing all the dumb stuff that everybody else does. and. um it impacted my my grades to the point of where it, it caught up with me, but it put me on blast. Right? It didn't catch up with me and it was like, oh, I'll just go to summer school. I mean, it was, it was a tough road. Yeah, wow.
0: So taken in the third round by the Panthers in the 01 draft, I mean, you're going to be a Hall of Famer. Did you feel in the third round, well, first off, I guess, do you think about being a Hall of Famer? Is that anything um, that
1: comes in your mind at all? Yeah, it does, I, I, I try not to talk about it. Yeah, all right. Because that's, that's, well, the reason why is that's my, um, about my second year in the league, um, some things happened, and um, I hired a, um, my agent says, hey, I think you need to get a, you're so driven, but you have no direction, so you need to get a, we, let, let's talk. And he's really good friends with, um, with a golf coach, And the golf coach said, you know, what really will help Steve is a uh, sports psychologist. And so, so I had, I hired a sports psychologist and I started working on things that I, you know, I always had a goal of playing the NFL, but I had no direction. So once I got there, I started to realize, you know, I didn't know how to do some of the things that I desired to do. And so the sports psychologist, we really broke it down and I started to create daily goals and weekly goals and short term goals, three to six, one to two months, three to six months, midterm goals and then um, lifetime goals. And so my lifetime goals, so I remember, I think it was like February 16, 2002, 2003, no 2002. And one of them was to buy my my folks, buy my in-laws a house, um, be the Panthers' all-time leading receiver, and be a Hall of Famer. And um, and so I've pretty much started to, you know, put the line through a lot of them. Um, and and so that's, that's one of – that's kind of like the last thing that's on there that uh, I haven't been able to cross out. Um, so I'm just waiting to cross that out. But ultimately, you know, a knucklehead from L.A. becoming a Hall of Famer, um, I think that's pretty cool.
0: It's super. It's an unbelievable story. I mean, your first year, you were primarily a kick and a punt returner. Correct. But then that same year, you amassed the fourth most yards from scrimmage in the entire league. And if I had my that's story straight, we were, streak, we were
1: pretty ahead. bad. We were pretty bad. So they were <laughs> kicking off. They were kicking off uh, so much. It, let me tell you how bad we were. I was at the Pro Bowl. John, John Harbaugh um, was a special teams coach. And uh, we score, we score first and I go off to do the kick return because I had been 15 weeks of mental prepping of, well, somebody else scored on us again. And John goes, where are you going? He goes, we scored. And I said, oh, man, I've been so, you know. I got so much post-traumatic stress of being scored on (laughs) that I'm just when I see a team score, I just assume we got scored on again. So um, it just shows you, man. If when you have a bad season, you know, seventeen weeks of that, you 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 have you get you get mentally reset, and you don't even know it. I mean,
0: that's that's the that's a you could do one worse, I guess. You guys ended up that rookie year one in fifteen. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's right. that's a total beatdown. But then the crazy thing is, two years later, you guys found yourselves in the Super Bowl. Yeah. Like, how did you get it turned around so fast? What happened in those two
1: years? I mean, what a what a quick turnaround. Well, George Seifer was um, let, relieved of his duties, and then they brought in John Fox. He brought in, he was a defensive-minded coach, so he brought in Jack Del Rio. So we brought in a lot of defensive players. And you know, offensively, we brought in Jake DeLone, uh Rodney P. We brought in some other players, uh, Stephen Davis, uh, Lamar Smith, I believe. Um, there was a lot of different players that they brought in that really uh, kind of just built on what Coach Fox believed in, which is he believed in strong defense and offense don't screw it up. <laughs> um, and so, and and he also believed that a punt was not a bad play as an offensive guy. A Punt is a bad play, right? right? But when when the head man's a defensive defensive minded coach, you just kind of you nod your head like this. But inside you're going,
0: yeah, exactly. I my first coach in the NFL was Marty Schottenheimer, so famous for oh, Marty yeah. Ball. So it was always yes. in end every drive in a kick, whether it's a field goal, a PAT, or a punt, yeah. and they would applaud the punt. Which in our heads were like, no, 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 this is. Yeah. Let's try to let's try to pick up that third and eight if you don't mind instead of just folding up shop here and punting. But we had a great defense, so he's here, in, he's here in
1: Charlotte. Mark Shatnaimer, is he? Do you ever see him? Yeah, I saw actually. I've not seen him in Charlotte. I've seen him at the beach um, down in South Carolina. <laughs> um, actually, saw him. I think it was last summer. Oh, I think or oh, the summer before uh, yeah. down there. So he's 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 holding up pretty well. Um, he's a they, he's um, a you know, tough guy. So, Tough, tough as nails.
0: Tough guy, tough ball coach, but God, he no. just had a, a real simple system and we followed the, simple, followed the system and it got so many good results early in the career. And then, of course, we go 14 and 2, losing the Patriots in 2006 in the division round and they mm-hmm. fire him after a 14 and 2 season. I mean, that's just crazy yeah. to fire a coach after that. I mean, this. Yeah. What was the moment, Steve, that you thought, I've got this, I can do this? Like I've set my goals, and now this is going
1: to happen. What's interesting about that is, I never really felt like I had this. Ever? Um, Never. I was. I was. um, I was always uneasy uh, because I set goals so much that I can never really sit down and relax. I never really enjoyed. Um, You know, growing up in LA. um, You know, didn't have a car you know, wasn't driving legally until uh till I got uh into college. But, you know, I never really if if I use if I use LA as a great example in the NFL is, you know, that major highway that you can take off Santa Monica, which is PCH. PCH, you know, you could take that all the way up to uh Northern California. It's a beautiful view. But unfortunately, um I was always the guy you, you could put me in a convertible, you could put my wife, who's a beautiful woman, right next to me, and I'd be so pressed on getting to the destination that I, would, I, I wouldn't I would pull over and, and, and watch the sunset with her. Um, I wouldn't look at the view, I wouldn't pull over and have lunch at the beach because I was so goal oriented to where I never really enjoyed my career because I was always looking at the next opponent, um, looking for the next uh, opportunity to have a professional dislike for someone, so I could be prepared for the next game. Um, I, I, I didn't really look for friends. Um, I was I wasn't interested in friends. If you're my opponent, you stay my opponent. That's where I put you. That's the category you stay in. Um, and so for a long time, so I would say probably about my first ten or eleven years, I just played. I I just played pissed and and just played. I wouldn't say a chip because people say chip, but man, I just play. I play for keeps, right? And and watching that last dance, watching Mike and the one that the two Sundays ago, I think one with BJ, BJ Armstrong was on there, and when he was talking, I was looking and I could picture all my teammates that played with me, and I was like, gosh they probably think I'm a dick too. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I, I got to ask that question. I did some sports talk radio the Monday after that episode was mm-hmm. released. And they said, you ever played with anybody like that? And I said, no, I wish I would have, because I think that's the only way you can get to the championship level is having somebody that's willing to stir the muck up. That's willing to piss people off. That's going to compete like there's no tomorrow. And Sounds like you were that guy that that goes in and is not afraid to change the culture and not afraid to make it. I mean, you go from one in 15 to the Super Bowl two years later. Like somebody had to be responsible for that. Yeah. I'm not saying, I'm not saying solely you.
1: No, no, but but that kind of competitiveness. Yeah. I, I mean, I just went in there and because of the way I grew up and the way things were. I really played for keeps, and and I just did not want to go back to L.A. Really with nothing to show, and kind of just flunk out and fail, right? And so that that drove me to the point of where um, I didn't enjoy things, right? I you know I I got my you know I, I got paid. I it was direct deposit and. You know, the checks was on the on the chair and I was like, okay, whatever. But I was more focused on my opponent. And if you lined up against me, even on the same team in practice, you were my opponent. Um, You were not my teammate. You were a defender trying to stop me from catching the ball.
0: I mean, you were the one wide receiver. If I could ever identify with a wide receiver, you'd be like my wide receiver spirit animal. You're feisty (laughs) as hell, you got after it, you were just tough as all could be. It was super fun to watch. What, your mindset going into games, like how did you even get into
1: that space? Uh, It started, it it would start about Friday. Um, But I mean, I I would watch film on a guy, and just watch a ton of film, right? And I always, I watched so much film on a guy to where I I built my professional dislike on his mannerisms, what he did to other DB, uh, what he did to other wide receivers, why he did it. And I would watch the sequence of a game. So I would go to our videographer and our, our, our guy, and I say, give me all the pass plays that were targeted from him. Um, If it's week 10, nine nine back. If it was a really good corner, give me last year's film as well. And I want every play he was on. I want to know if he's going to tackle. I want to know how active is his hands. If the ball comes inside this, you know, what kind of stuff is he going to try to push you over the pile, right? Just all those little nuances. And I tell the guys, like, look, if you try to push me over the pile, you know, I, I'll tell him some colorful words. Just kind of put him on notice. And I'll tell him the first play of the game. So he knew exactly what, what kind of day he was going to have. It was going to be a no-nonsense game. And it was going to be, um, the table was set according to what I felt. So we were going to have a salad fork. We were going to have an entree fork, a soup uh, spoon, uh, a regular dessert spoon, a coffee spoon. We were, The table was going to be set, and this is how it was going to be. And if you didn't like it, you either didn't come in the game, you checked out, or you just kind of rolled with it. And that's how I kind of went into every game, to the point of where I built up my reputation, where guys didn't mess with me. And I kind of got to do what I needed to do, and that was it. And it was just – but it was kind of the way – same way I grew up in L.A., is – you establish who you are. You get your reputation, not by speaking, by your actions. And so that's how I witnessed and watched guys do that on back home. And so I took that mentality on the football field. Some people say it's a thug mentality. But if you really look up the definition of a thug, a thug is not a millionaire. A thug did not play 16, 17 years. A thug actually sits on the corner and does nothing. He doesn't file taxes. He had no 1099s. He has no K1s. And so that's the difference. I took a little bit of that mentality of which I grew up with, and I brought it on the football field as, as a no-nonsense, no no BS type of dude.
0: Get it. And I, it was so much fun. I mean, you, and talk about the, so people will call you a thug, I will call you a badass football player, because that's the whole goal of football is to impose your will Physically yes. and mentally, on another man, you just happened. We thought that offensive and defensive linemen were the ones trying to do that. Maybe sprinkle in some linebackers here and there and some yeah. badass safeties. You're a wide receiver doing the exact same and playing the exact same way that we were. Where you, over the course of your career and even early on, I'm sure, set the tempo enough that people knew you come into this game, you better have your mind right. If your mind ain't right, you're going to crack early. And I I would imagine there were times you even stepped into a game later in your career where you just had the game won before you even
1: took a rep. I had a few young guys uh, try to um, defuse me, and it it worked a few times. One guy I lined up with was a corner, um, and he was like, hey, you know, you're one of my favorite players. Uh, Before After the game, could you give me your gloves? Like (laughs) What? What? Right? <laughs> and so um, and so, uh, uh, so, a run play comes and I was supposed to go get, it was cover two, so I, I release outside and he, he followed me like he's supposed to, but then he trails off and the safety doesn't get over the top. So I'm like, well, I'm not going to run all the way on the other side and I got this guy right there. And so, the, you know, so I go back and because he asked me for my gloves. I couldn't peel back and knock the snot out of him. I just blocked him, and I was like, and I said to myself, which I had a lot of eternal dialogue, which was, "Man, you're getting soft." He he set you up, and you fell for it. And I was pretty nice to him that game. I don't remember if I gave him my gloves or not, but it, it that really worked. Did you ever play him again? Um, I think I have, uh, but it, I don't want to say he was a nobody because that's that's when you. I just played ball, so I really didn't. There were guys I I respected every opponent I went against. Now, if you did something during the game that I lost your respect, then, hey, that happens. But um, he was a guy, he was just, you know, he was a journeyman. He did his job, and it was cool, and um, it was a decent game and wasn't nothing to it. But he he softened me up with that, and, and it worked.
0: How'd you get into the big games? Like, how'd you dial in mentally to the big games? Because you had some big ones. I mean, especially the early in the career, the ones of note would be you had the touchdown catch and run. I think it was like a 69-yarder double overtime to beat yeah. the Rams in the NFC Championship game. Then you had a really big game in the Super Bowl in the next week or so after that against the Patriots. How'd you dial in mentally to those ones?
1: Um well, I remember the Rams was an interesting one because I, I believe the guy's name was Travis Fisher. He was from Florida. And they had picked him, um, I think, in the fourth or fifth round. But they had drafted him um, the same year they drafted me, uh, the Carolina Panthers. But I was on a trip with Henry Eller, who was the wide receivers coach at the time. And that was when uh, it was not Tory Holt, but uh, – Tony Horn. Tony Horn was going to Kansas City because Dick Vermeil came out of retirement. He was going to be the head coach. And so they had told me that they were looking at getting some wide receivers. And I had had a neck injury early in my career. So I went and spent pretty much half the day with Henry Eller. Now, I grew up in Los Angeles. So, you know, I'm a, I'm a 49ers fan, but I watched the Raiders. Um, L- Oakland and LA and I watched the Anaheim Rams and the Los Angeles Rams um, so I knew who Henry Eller was and I knew who Flip, uh, Flipper Anderson was you know and it's because I grew up watching football and man for me to be just sitting in a car shoot shooting a breeze with with Henry Eller and and, and breaking bread with him man I was I was in football heaven, right? I was just like at all. I was drooling. And I'm like, oh, man, (laughs) I'm talking about the Rams are maybe drafting me. And, man, I I believe they end end up getting uh, uh, Brian Allen uh, from Florida State or I think it was uh, Tommy Polly um, in that third round. And then I think they got uh, Travis Fisher. So I remember playing and I'm like, this is the dude they drafted instead of me. Right. And so, um, so I always kept that in my mind. Um, and so, you know, and, and then prior to that, the reason I had a visor on when I caught that pass, if you go back, he tried to quick jam me and hit me in my eye. And so like he he hit me in my eye. And so I had to go out for a few plays and then the next, pl- and so a couple of plays later I had the visor on and he went to quick jam again and hit me in a visor and then the referee, was like, hey, you know, you need to watch it, and and so that 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 started a very colorful conversation as well. But um, so for me, a big game, really, I I pulled everything, I pulled all all stops out. I watched the film. Um, I wanted to see where a guy, not necessarily information on that, but just where he's drafted. What is, what you know, the scouting department. What is he known for? All of that stuff. And so everything, his strengths, I was very aware of. Um, my opponent, and I utilize his strengths as this guy isn't going to do that to me. And then his weaknesses, um, I want to exploit him. Um, I, I would I would literally call myself, I would approach it as um, as an appraiser. So, you know, when you appraise something, you get something refinanced, you know, you go in there and they got to see what it's worth. And so my goal was to to appraise you, to let you know that whatever you are valued there's a new appraiser here, and your value is a lot less than what you think. And my job is to show you. Which DB did you appraise the highest over your career? I mean, it's a you know, it's a number of guys. Obviously, Cham Bailey, uh, Darrell Revis was a it was a very good competitor. It was always a lot of infighting. Um, it was a it, it was a great chess match. There was a, I would say in my in my career there was probably seven or eight guys a year that was chess and the other eight were checkers. Right. And no no disrespect and not not right. trying to say that, but there there were some guys who were upper echelon guys who you had to study. I had to study, you know, at that time it went from cassette tape, you know, VHS yeah. tapes to um DVDs that I would have one or two on, and then there's somewhere I do not really have much on them.
0: Now that you've had some time to decompress, reflect, and process the career, right? Because while Mm -hmm. you're going at it, you were describing just having blinders on and moving forward and thinking of the next goal and the next accomplishment. What are you most proud of?
1: One, uh, one going in, what, I think four years of retirement. um, This is the area where um, statistics hit. Right? Depression, divorce, yep. um, uh debt, um, destitute, just say all oh, all the all the bad D words, right? Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um I, I I I think that at five nine, a you know, I had a fractured neck in college. Um, I grew up in LA. Um, government Government assistance, and yet um I've changed the narrative of my family um, for not just myself but moving forward so just that I can I'm on this side of the dirt um that's really for me it's a big accomplishment because i i was a I was a dummy man, I did some stupid stuff, I risked a lot of things and um and you know for me, it's really hard not to eliminate God, because it was only somebody looking out for me, right? I can't take credit. I can't take credit for something that, one, I didn't, I don't deserve. And two, you know, God put a lot of cool people around me that saved my life, that have uh, really changed my perspective, my viewpoint. You know, one of those people is my wife. My wife is I put my wife through a lot of stuff, and what she still looks at me. Um, and I, there's times, not every day, you know, being married 20 years. <laughs> um, I think I can still see the twinkle in her eye sometimes when she looks at me, right? Um, yeah, and and that's really cool to be around such an emotional roller coaster, because um, I am a hard ass and I am um, very critical. I'm a perfectionist on myself, so you imagine how I. Uh, project that out on other people as well
0: any regrets looking back
1: oh yeah i do but i i I, here's the other part if you if i were if i would go back and change some of it i don't know if the outcome would be the same i think it would have a dramatic impact that i don't necessarily believe would would be the impact that I really like compared to where I'm sitting today and how I feel and, you know, inside of what I'm okay with.
0: Are you more of a stop and check out the sunset guy now?
1: I'm getting there more and more laughing more. Um, I'm actually a clown. Um, I love to joke around. I love to laugh. I laugh at myself a lot. Um, but I don't give that off to a lot of people. Um, at all. I mean, I know even me and you reaching out, just the fact of us connecting. I know I probably would be the last guy you would think, be like, man, what does Steve have to connect with me? But man, I've admired, you know, how you've done things. Um, and I just remember, like the one thing I remember is the tattoos of you being colorblind. I'm like, how is that possible? Right. <laughs> and that always rang in my head. And so for me, um, when your name came up, And obviously with the mental health stuff that you've dealt with, man, it's just like, I was like, man, I always wonder, man, I wonder what Nick is like, right? And so it's been pretty
0: cool. Speaking of the mental health stuff, how hard was your transition out? Or how hard has it been? I I feel like it took me all of five years to really just come (laughs) to peace
1: and to like relax and to like just be good with myself. Mine was a little bit different. It went a little bit quicker because I had a different transition. Um, my last three years, um, and including the injury, I was in Baltimore. So my oldest son was my first year in Baltimore. He was his senior year, and he was getting heavily recruited in soccer. So he had to stay um, his junior year, actually. He had to stay here in Charlotte because we couldn't just up and move him up to Baltimore, and, and, and the scouts were, you know, the colleges were coming to the schools to watch him play, and if he moved, you know, that that just doesn't work out. Right. So I was up in Baltimore by myself, and so my family would come up for the home games, and then I had worked out a deal with the team that every no matter where we played, I would fly back home, uh, back to Charlotte, because we had Mondays off. And so I would fly back to Charlotte right after the game. And be home, you know, Sunday night, month and I would fly back either um, late Monday night. It was like a ten forty to Baltimore every Monday night, or I would, you know, or coach would let me come in like uh, I would fly in like late Tuesday and be in the meeting Wednesday morning. So he he, he gave me some grace a little bit, and so that was good. Um, but so when I when I retired, you know, I, I was renting a place. Nothing sadder, you know, than packing up your career. Like I, I packed up my my condo in Baltimore right in a, on the water in the Inner Harbor, and I had to turn my keys to the, my landlord. And bro, I cried like a baby, oh. right? And and we were still in the hunt, so you know, hopefully we we're gonna make the playoffs, so I could stay a little bit longer, keep playing. And right after that, right after our we lost to New England. I think it was a Thursday night or a Sunday night. It was pretty bad and I kind of realized that uh, we had to beat Pittsburgh and all of a sudden we lose to Pittsburgh. And so I was slowly starting to pack up my stuff and then New England, I kind of accelerated and then Pittsburgh, we were done. Couldn't make the playoffs. And so I literally started packing up my life. And so I closed the door of my, my condo, gave the keys to the landlord, and um, a couple, of, well, a couple of days before that, um, when our last day, you know, the whole typical, put your career in a trash bag. I, I said, I, you know, I'm done, so I'm not gonna do that. So I waited till the media was out. Came back a couple of days later, and basically uh, told them what I wanted sent home, and what they can kind of keep. And one of the cool things was that Mr. Bashadi, who's the owner of the Baltimore Ravens and the staff, they were like, nah we know he's coming back. So they actually refused to send me my stuff. They didn't send me my stuff pretty much till probably week five into my retirement. Cause they thought I was just going to walk back in the door. Um, And so when I packed up my stuff, I packed it up, but man, I cried and I, you know, I got up at early in the morning and I drove home um, to, to Carolina from Baltimore and, um, I had to drive really early because the traffic, from Baltimore to DC gets pretty hectic. Um, so I got up at like five in the morning, six a.m. Drove, got past DC at the right time, and just smooth sailing. Got back, pulled up, rented a rented a big old Escalade um, from Charlotte One Way, and came in my driveway at about three thirty.
0: How'd you know it was time? So Bashadi thought you were coming back. I would imagine Harbaugh thought you were coming back. How'd you yeah. know it was time and what what made you decide? Man, I... I mean, other than being a really long career and I, having, some, you had significant injuries.
1: Yeah, well, I, one of the things that I didn't want to keep doing is you know, say say Baltimore said, "Hey, we don't want you," and somebody else wanted me to go play. Cause I had teams calling. I didn't want to keep moving. Um, I was I I would say one of the things I started to realize is I was starting to get pretty comfortable not being at home. I was starting to, to enjoy not being, not dealing with the day to day stuff that I, you know, that I was used to dealing with cuz that was the first time I, I I didn't. And so I started noticing like that I was looking forward to going back up to Baltimore. And it wasn't because I hated home. It just was like that was starting to get my routine, right? We we all creatures of habit. That's it. And, and I started to realize and then I would be, you know, it would be challenging because we only had a day and a half at the house. And, you know, I'm still having to study and get prepared for the game plan. So I really wasn't present. So it just started to weigh on me. And then, but then when I was in Baltimore, I'm getting up and I was refusing to eat at the house because it was depressing sitting at the house by yourself. Like, hey, uh, you know, it's like I am Ledger with Will Smith when he loses his dog. You know, he starts to realize that the little nuances he's not doing anymore. Like right, hey, you want some eggs? Oh no, okay, cool, right? Because I'm just—it's just me, um, and it, it started. I was getting very lonely, and 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 it was just starting to create something in me that I, I I couldn't put my finger on it, but I was changing, and it was actually eroding at who I was, and it actually made me play in Baltimore, which wasn't necessarily a bad thing. It pla it made me play even more angry, right? And, um, and I just kind of started to notice, you know, I was just starting to get short fuse and I was dealing with stuff that I didn't know I was dealing with. So it, it it was just starting to, um, manifest and build up into something that was not positive for me.
0: I just, I just thought watching you play in Baltimore, I was like, Oh, Steve was meant to be a Raven the whole time. Like he finally found his team, but it turns out there was some other issues going on. I, and I feel you. It sounds lonely, and it sounds super depressing. And
1: like I, I, I enjoy playing in Baltimore too, because you know it's the black and blue division. So yeah. uh, I enjoyed it, like you know, hitting Troy Palomalo, Troy Palomalo hitting me. Like it was fun, man. It was, uh, it was, it was. You know, my grand, my grandmother and grandfather helped raise me. So my grandpa, you know, he was always about. You know, you got to earn your name. And so, you know, he was a huge Oakland Raider fan. So, you know, Ronnie Lott, Jack Tatum, you know, slobber knockers, right? Greg Townsend, Art Shell, Howie Long, you know, those guys would hit the mess out of you. So that's how I was taught. Like, look, he would say, see, that's football right there. That's football. You want to play that? You better get used to that kind of hits. And 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 that's just kind of where I saw it. So when I played, that's how I played because that's what my grandpa told me. That's how the game is played. And my grandpa was, my, you know, my grandpa was like my father. You know, my dad was in my life, but he just had that. He had me hooked like that. My grandpa taught me how to play cards. I was playing cards at a young age. And I was over at grandparents' house, so we were using uh, you know, you go over to grandparents' house, they have candy and nuts, right? In the in the jars. So we're playing for dates and and and, <laughs> and, and walnuts and peppermints and 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 butterscotch. Right? Those old were those so, originals. Yes. So I was playing tunk and playing dominoes with candy. And I, that's some of the stuff that I learned business-wise. He always told me. Um, I was playing dominoes one day and I got 15 and I didn't realize what that 15 opened the board up to something else. And he always told me, and I remember this to this day, I'm 41 years old. He says, "Uh, I'm going to just tell you right now, not all money's good money, 25. Right. And, and that's what he put down. And he taught me how to, you know, keep the count, uh, keep score. So I had to write 25. So that was pretty shameful. My grandfather was beating the brakes. Off his grandson and making him keep score, right? But he he taught me a lot of great things that to this day, um, they're embedded in me um, in my fiber to the part of you know I want to be able to be that grandfather for my from for my kids' kids when they when they get there. Did he get to see you play? Yeah, he did. Yeah,
0: awesome. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure you made him proud. He's probably watching it, yeah. going, "Yeah, those lessons all paid off." All right, I got two last ones. The, the habit or routine that's allowed you to maintain happiness post-football.
1: Um, man. Getting up, getting up with a different purpose of being a sponge, you know, willing to learn and, and willing to really just learn something about myself and learn something about people around me. And then last one, if you had a motto, what would it be? I think the, the motto I've been going with is uh, I I heard, this, I heard this a couple of years ago, and um, it's a cool little and it's a little story, and it says, um, um, there's a different version of it, but it's uh, in the Serengeti desert. There's a gazelle that awakes that gets up when the sun arises, and he understands that he must run faster than the fastest lion, or he, or he will get eaten, and he will surely die that day. In the same Serengeti desert, the sun arises, and there's a lion that understands that when he arises that he must run faster than the fastest gazelle, or he will starve, and he too will die um, that day. And the point of the story is, son, when the sun arises, you best be running. And so, why that's my antidote is, you get up every day for what, you know? And a lot of people say, well, I want to be the lion or I want to be the, you know, the gazelle. But really, it's not. It's not about being a lion or a gazelle. It's just basically when you're getting up, you got to have a purpose. And my purpose, really now, is getting up is to serve. And serve people, and um, whatever to whatever capacity, and whether it's business or, or or philanthropy. And so when I get up, you know I've been up since pretty much about six forty-three. I took my dog on a walk, and I'm getting up, talking to you, and I got some other stuff I need to do by shoe by by the day by seven o'clock. When I sit down and we eat dinner, I would have done a lot of things to serve and be served. Um, and impact.
0: Steve, I tell you what, man, I would have loved to have been your teammate. It's awesome catching up with you. Awesome to Appreciate see it. you again. And I, I love watching you on the NFL Network and all the personality that you bring, the insight that you bring. And and thank you for bringing some of that to our show today. So thank you, Steve. Appreciate it.
1: Thank you. Hey, where can people follow you? I don't have, uh, you can go on my foundation. Um, there Steve we go. Steve Smith. SteveSmithFDN.org. That's on my foundation. But um, I don't do social media. And what do you guys do? What's Steve Smith FDN do? Um, well, my foundation, my mom is a survivor of domestic violence. And because of that, um, that's what we do. And we will open up a medical clinic here in Charlotte um, that also does counseling because of the things that I've experienced with depression and some of that stuff. So um, we serve about, we're up to probably 4,200 patients um, here in Charlotte, a little medical clinic, 1,500 square feet. Uh, we're debt-free and um, we're, we're kicking tail and, t- and taking names and uh, serving this community in Charlotte. And um, we're looking at in the possibility of expanding into a bigger facility because we're busting out of the seams, uh, but we're doing really cool things.
0: Bravo, dude. Congrats to you. Thank you. Yeah, keep up the good work. Thank you, Steve. I appreciate you, man. God bless you. All All right, buddy. You too. Stay in touch. All right. All right, gang. That's all we've got for this episode of the Finding Center podcast. I hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as I enjoyed doing it. One thing that would really help both of us and other potential new listeners is for you to rate this show and leave a comment in iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeart, or wherever you listen. Also, make sure to link up with us on social media. I'm at Finding Center Podcast and at Nick Hardwick. And follow, be sure to do this, at hardwick.life for great health information, recipes, and healthy lifestyle tips. And please share, share, share this podcast with anyone who you think might enjoy. I like to send specific episodes to people that I keep in mind while doing the podcast. Maybe you could do the same thing while you're listening.
1: Thanks again, guys. Until next time, here's all the health to you.